thankfulness. It is measurable, expanding, decreasing, growing through encouragement, stifled by entitlement. It requires a response, devout by nature, sincere in quality, extravagant in expression, unconcerned with how it will be perceived, offensive to the self-justified, overwhelming to the humble, rightly appraising significance. It does not lie sleeping but is awake to wonder, relinquishing vanity to celebrate beauty, a jar of costly perfume poured out on the feet of the king, intimately connected with passion, active, zealous, blooming, enhanced with emotion, humility and hope woven together. It embraces this thing we call today, the tumultuous expectancy of good approaching. It is the seeing beyond what is. Eyes opened, unearthing hidden glory. Eyes opened, unearthing hidden glory. opened unearthing hidden glory that's what happens when we live lives and shift our perspective in a way that presents us before God is thankful when we truly give thanks that's what we're doing my name is Micah Hasty. I'm the associate pastor of worship here at the North Canton Chapel and uh, before we begin today I just want to thank Pastor Ryan just for the privilege to, to stand in this space, uh, to preach from this platform, it's an honor. Um, and so thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity. I don't take it lightly. Um, also, I spilled coffee on myself literally three seconds before I walked up here. So there's that. So now you guys are going to try and find it, and that's okay. Um, but today we are, just call out the elephant in the room, right? That's what I do. Um, we are concluding our series today that's entitled Give Thanks. And in this series, uh, we, are asking, uh, we are asking scripture, we're examining the, examining the text and looking at what it means to live a life that is truly thankful, a life that has the thankfulness of the Lord in our hearts and lives. And so today we're going to begin by standing in honor of scripture as we read. So if you would, please stand with, with me. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Um, the text will be on the screens. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Um, and if you do not own a copy of God's Word, please take that copy with you. That's our gift to you today. Um, when we stand here uh, for the reading of God's Word, if you've been a part of the North Canton Chapel for any length of time, we do this often. Uh, and we do this because we place great value on Scripture. We believe it to be divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit and given to us as a means of grace that we might understand God rightly, and that we might respond to him accordingly. So this is why we read today, if you would, um, let's begin in chapter 4, verse 4. This is Paul writing to his church plant in Philippi, and he is writing, reminding them that they can have joy in the midst of all suffering. And it's appropriate that Paul is writing 
and that he can say these things because he writes from a jail cell where he's been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Let's read this out loud together if we would. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal to us who you are through it and that you teach us how to live rightly in response to you. God, I pray that you would move us by the text today. Help us to respond well to what you call us to. We love you in your name, amen. You may be seated. So many of us have heard this passage before. We've heard it a number of times. We've seen it on decorative plates. We've seen it on fridge magnets. We've seen it at the bottom of email signatures. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is a text that's very quick and easy to spout off, but it is actually written with a ton of love and prayer and weight that comes behind it. See, when we give thanks properly, one of our natural responses is joy. And what, what I would encourage you actually before I dig in, if you have not heard messages one and two of this series, Give Thanks, from Pastors Matt and Brandon, they laid incredible, incredible groundwork uh, for where we're heading today. So if you haven't listened to those, please, your favorite podcasting platform, grab that, stream it, or head to ncchapel.com. It's under the resources tab. You can listen to those. Um, but they so beautifully laid out what it means to give thanks and have thankful hearts. And so today we're talking about this natural response of what it means to live with joy. And so we will face trial and struggle in this life. Yes? Yes, we know this. We will fight despair and darkness. And one of our main weapons in that battle is the joy of our salvation. See, when we look at verse four from this text, it reminds us of this joy. It's the kind of verse that should have us jumping up and down with excitement and gladness over the goodness of who our God is and the grace that he has shown to us. So there are many moments in our lives that we would describe as joyful. For some of you, it may be the, the moment when you made the team after a long, long tryout season for some of you, it was when you passed the test after nights and nights and nights of study. It was the promotion at work that you've worked for years for. For some of you, it's just that Ohio won the game, right? Yeah. For some of you, it was your wedding day, hopefully more important than when Ohio won the game. Um, for some of you, it was the birth of your children. You know, certainly when I look at my life and I think about the, the moments where I am most joyful, they often revolve around my family. Um, my wife, Kristen, and I recently had the opportunity to go and take part at a banquet with one of our ministry partners, Pregnancy Choices, and we got to hear about what they were all about. And they are doing incredible, incredible work, by the way, in providing help and hope for pregnant mothers uh, who need resources. And most importantly, they are sharing the gospel and the love of Christ with them. It's, it was an incredible time at that banquet. Um, but on our way home, Kristen and I began to talk and dialogue about our children and how they came into the world. So I wanna show you my kids. 
they're up here. Riley, Raina, and Autumn, they're super cute, right? I know they're mine, but I mean, they're, they're just, I mean, come on. I mean, we could, just, we could just stay here for a little bit. This is good. No. But look, they get cuter. They get cuter. Oh, they love each other. I mean, that's like Facebook worthy right there. That's like post that highlight reel. Anyway, um, but no, this is Riley, Raina, and Autumn. They're my three daughters. And when Kristen and I were talking, we began to talk because we're at Pregnancy Choices, talking about babies and that type of thing. Um, we started talking about how they came into the world and how each of their births sort of reflect their personality. And we just thought it was kind of funny. So with, with Riley, Kristen was in labor with Riley for 34 hours. Yeah. She's a champ. I mean, it felt like 34 years, but it was a long and a steady, methodical, stubborn process. And if you know Riley, she is thought out. She is methodical. She plays the long game. I, like, I am most worried about her when she's a teenager because if she really ever gets in trouble, she is going to have planned it for about six months and she is going to work up to it. She always knows how things are going to go and when things don't go her way, watch out. It's stubborn. And then we have my middle daughter, my middle mini-me, Raina. Uh, she is a ball of passion and energy and when she came into the world, I have often joked and said that it sounded like we had an ambulance escort heading down 77 um, because Kristen was screaming so loudly. It sounded like a siren going off in our car. Labor with Raina was extremely, extremely painful. By the way, my wife was in first service and you would have enjoyed the looks that I was getting during this time. Um, I'll pay for it later, but it's okay. Um, And so, but when Raina came in, she came hard and fast and wild. And if you know her, She is literally, like, she is a tiny ball of energy. She does not stop. Um, And then also kind of funny, you know, she's the only one that has these beautiful little curls. They did not come from me, even though I did have hair at one point. Um, But we found out we were pregnant with Raina after a day, it was actually my first time ever, at Cedar Point. And so we've joked and said that all the roller coasters just made their way straight into her hair, and that's that's how that works. No, she's, she's incredible. And then our littlest daughter, Autumn, she is the sweetest little easy baby in the world. And I don't know if Kristen and I are just getting better at parenting. I'd like to think that, but something tells me I'm, it's not. Um, I think that she's really this easy. You see, when she was born, uh, we were in our living room. She wasn't born in our living room. It goes farther. We were in our living room, and Kristen goes, I think I'm having contractions. I'm like, well, with the first two, we knew. Like, it, it was clear. Contractions were contractions. Like, are you sure? And she goes, I don't know. Okay, and so I go to bed, and why not? She didn't know. And uh, so 11.30, she wakes me up, 11.30 at night, she wakes me up, and she goes, so these things that I think might be contractions, they're about two minutes apart. We, maybe we should go to Altman? I'm going, okay. Uh, so we get in the car, and we're driving, and she literally looks at me on the way and says, I hope they don't send us home. Like, I don't know what this is. Uh, and so I, I tell you, we get to the hospital, and I have never had so many dirty looks from nurses and doctors in my entire life, because we got there, and Autumn was here. I mean, it was two pushes, and Autumn was here. Easy. Um, not easy for Kristen, but at least for me, it was like, hey, this was a lot faster than the 34-hour first child. And, um, and so, but no, it was easy. 
in these moments in my life, you're like, you know way more about my family than you ever thought you were going to know on a Sunday morning. Um, but the, the thing is, like these moments, for each and every one of my daughters, they are some of the most joyful, time-stopping, soul-filling moments of my life. They are incredible, incredibly joyful moments. And, uh, and so what I'd like for us to do for a moment, I'd like for you to help me with something. I'd like for you to make the sound that you think might be associated with these moments of joy in my life. Okay, so think about that. I want you to make a sound that you think might be associated with these moments of joy in my life. So whether that's a yeehaw or a whoop whoop or whatever you do, uh, I'm going to count to three and then I'd like for us to all make this sound. Okay, so here we go. One, two, three. Some of you guys are good, okay. All right, so that was pretty good, that was pretty good. How many of you, be completely honest with me, how many of you felt very forced into that and you felt like it was fake? A few hands? Okay, yeah, see, there are so many more honest people in this service than last service, that's great. Um, no, the thing is, it, it did. It felt a little forced and it fake. And do you know why? It's not your joy. It's not your moment. They're not your daughters. Even if you love my girls, and many of you do, it's different. It's not yours. And see, this presents a little bit of a tension that we find in verse 4 of of Philippians chapter 4, and it's often overlooked. Because see, the Greek word here for rejoice in verse 4 is the word kero. And in one aspect of this word, the translation is like action-oriented, okay? And so it's a movement word. It exemplifies there is a physical expression of an inner stirring or passion. But interestingly enough, and this is the tension, This word is only ever used in the context of believers. Don't miss that. To rejoice is only ever used for Christ followers. See, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural overflow from the lives of those whose hearts are committed to Jesus. And that means that even though the birth of my daughters are some of the most joyful moments in my life, those moments should pale in comparison to my sonship as an adopted son of King Jesus. See, Pastor Matt said this so well last week. He said, happiness is based on our changing circumstances, but joy is based on the unchanging one, Jesus. You know, I like giving us small statements that we can say out loud together. I believe it helps us to remember these truths. So the last time I spoke, we talked about God's grace. And we learned what God's grace is for. And some of you hopefully remember this, otherwise this is going to fall flat. Uh, We said that God's grace is for, hey, some of you, yeah, God's glory. Okay, so it did work for like five of you. Awesome. So this is going to go really well. Uh, No, we learned God's grace is for God's glory. But today I have something that I'd like for us to say together so that we can learn, I believe, one of the core truths of this text. And it's this, true joy only comes from Jesus. Okay, say that with me. True joy only comes from Jesus. One more time. True joy only comes from Jesus. Now look at your neighbor. Some of you haven't looked at each other all morning. You need to look into each other's eyes. And you need to speak some truth and some joy. Say it to them. Here we go. True joy only comes from Jesus. See, it's important for us to know and acknowledge this truth as we learn to give thanks with a joyful heart, because this is true. True joy only comes from Jesus. 
So the tension of verse four is this. If you're in this room this morning and you're new to church or you're seeking out this Jesus thing, trying to figure it out, let me tell you, I am thankful that you are in this room today. But quite honestly, this passage isn't written for you. It's written for the body of Christ, reminding her of who she is to be and how she is to function. See, I always say this though. Whether you're in the room and you're a follower of Jesus or you're still checking out the faith, we all know what it feels like when we manufacture joy or we run to false comforts. See, I believe that we were created to glorify God and to make him known. And one of the ways that we do that is the fruit of the spirit, which is lived out so that others can know that we are God's, that we are his. You know, the Holy Spirit is often called the comforter. And I believe that Jesus knew that we would need the comforter because otherwise we would run to all kinds of other false comforts to ease the pain and the hardship of life. We would run to that second dish or third dish of ice cream. We would have that one more drink to take the edge off. We would seek the approval and the applause of others more than God's. We would dive into deep pools of self-glorification or we would objectify others, whether it be in a magazine or a web search or a late night Snapchat conversation for our own selfish, lustful gratification. We run to false comforts when we do not cling to the comforter. When we seek comfort anywhere else other than the comforter, we look Jesus in the face And we say the grace that you have shown me and the gifts that you have given me are not enough. Let us not cheapen the grace of God, church. See, the joy that Paul speaks about in this text isn't possible to manufacture. We can't count to three and fake it. To rejoice completely, to choose joy is ultimately to choose Jesus. The more that our hearts are connected to Jesus, the more time that we spend with him in prayer, in study of the scripture, the more our hearts will overflow with the joy of the Lord. We can't rejoice without Jesus. Say it with me. True joy only comes from Jesus. Verse four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Does anyone else have a problem with that word always? seems unattainable, right? You're right. It is. It is completely unattainable. It's unattainable because you don't do the work. Jesus does the work in you. And he is the one who allows joy to flow through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is grace. That we could take part in a joy that is reserved for the people of God so that we could live out the purpose of God with a joy that is beyond ourselves. It is a holy joy that comes from a heart that is thankful for Jesus. Does this mean we never have bad days? No. Does it mean that we never fight despair or hopelessness? No. But this is why the psalmist writes in Psalm 28, he reminds us of who our God is. He says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. 
My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is our God, our shield and our strength. Because we need to remember this, because we all have moments where we fight despair and fear and we allow them to creep into our hearts, but we can give thanks because, say it with me, true joy only comes from Jesus. See, when Paul writes from a Roman prison, he is reminding us that we can hold on to this true joy no matter what we face. His hope and his confidence are not based on his circumstances. They are firmly rooted in the inalterable truth of Jesus' work. You know, this last season of my life has brought with it a number of unexpected challenges. Many, many trials that we didn't know were coming. There were a number of moments in which I felt helpless and lost. And in the same week, my family was in a car accident, which totaled our van. We had a rental van that a tree fell on. My daughter puffed up as a result of a viral reaction. She looked like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Baby, Autumn, the little one. And so we were in the ER with her. I found out that my mom's cancer was terminal. And to top it all off, my beta fish died. So, you know, there's that silly little fish. But some of you have had weeks like that. You've had weeks where your car is in the shop and your kids are sick and you botch a presentation at work. You've had weeks where you're not sure how you're going to pay your next bill. Or you get news that makes you feel like the bottom is going to drop out. There are weeks where you feel so spiritually dry and dead that you begin to wonder if God even exists. For some of you, that's this week. You know, I remember looking at Kristen at one point during all of that trial, and I looked at her and I said, I can't handle one more thing. Some of you were there. You're saying, I can't handle one more thing. I can't hold the weight. I cannot bear it. Christian, be encouraged. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. His name is Jesus. He tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. And you don't have to hold the weight because Jesus does. You don't have to handle one more thing because Jesus has. That's why true joy only comes from Jesus. This is why we can give thanks. You know, Paul concludes in, in chapter four, verses 12 and 13 in the NIV. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Jesus who gives me strength. In his book, Kill the Spider, Carlos Whitaker talks about shifting our focus and our perspective to Jesus. He says that we should gaze at God and glance at life. And when I shift my focus to Jesus, 
when I gaze at God and glance at life, my perspective changes. Let me tell you a few things that would not have happened had the trials that my family faced not taken place. See, we were able to experience the love of Jesus and the support of a biblical community in a way that we never would have. We were able to experience support and love from you, church, in a way that we never would have. See, after Kristen and the girls were in the accident, we had a family show up at our door with keys and a van, and they said, hey, we don't use this. Take it as long as you need. When the tree fell on a rental van, I walked out into my driveway to find the debris completely chopped up, loaded onto a trailer. My driveway swept, and it was about all I could do to give these two gentlemen a glass of water and a thank you before they were on their way. That same evening, another member of our community came to my house, brought me dinner and toys for my girls. And then in a tremendous moment of generosity, we had a member of this community who funded my flight home to see my mom for what would end up being her last time for us to be together this side of heaven. And while my mom is no longer on this earth, she is better than she has ever been because of the grace of God and the joy of salvation. And also my girls did get me a new betta fish. It is white, its name is Fang, and it is ferocious. But seriously, church, thank you. Thank you for loving my family so well. And this weekend marks one year since I began my ministry here at NCC. It hasn't all been roses. In fact, when I sit and I take inventory of this year, it's been in one of the most difficult and challenging years of my life. I've been tempted with throwing in the towel on ministry and walking away from the local church completely more than I ever have. I have faced more panic attacks, anxiety, and dealt with depression more than I have in a very long time. I've been mocked and ridiculed and cursed to my face and behind my back more than ever in ministry. I've shed more tears and been through more constant trial this year than I have in my life. But hear this, church. I would not trade it. I would not trade it. Because this year has also been one of the blessed years, the most blessed years of my life. My calling in ministry has been set in my soul. It has been confirmed and affirmed in greater ways than it has ever been. I have learned to still my soul in the joy of my salvation, and I have been encouraged, loved, and honored more than I have ever been. I have laughed more deep, true laughs, and been blessed more than I have in a very long time by you, church. See, my family, we knew that we were called here to NCC. God opened doors and made it so remarkably clear that we couldn't miss it we knew that we were supposed to do ministry here, but what we were not prepared for and what we did not know was how much that God needed us to be here because he needed us 
to have this community. He knew that we needed you. We needed your love and your prayer and your support in ways that we never knew we were going to. Because God knew the trials that we would face. He knew what we would walk into. And he knew that we needed each other. So church, thank you. Thank you, thank you. See, if my family had not experienced the trials that we faced, we would have missed the blessings. If we had gazed at life instead of at God, we would have become stuck in our circumstances. But we chose to rejoice always because we knew that Jesus was better. We knew that God was sovereign and in control. We knew that he had a plan. Was it difficult? Yes. Was it hard? Yeah. Was there a day that I drove down the road screaming at the top of my lungs in an angry prayer to God? Yes. He was big enough to handle it. If he wasn't, he would not have been God. Church, we can rejoice because Jesus is our strength. He is greater than any trouble that we will face. He is our joy. We can rejoice, say it with me, because true joy only comes from Jesus. I believe this is why the Apostle Paul reiterates this action for us. He says, again, I will say rejoice. See, he knows that we need reminded of the truth of the gospel, that there is nothing that we can do on our own, that our sin is too great, our debt is too weighty, and that we are dead. Dead men can't raise to life on their own. We needed a redeemer. We needed a resurrector. We needed a savior. And our savior is Jesus. He is the one who brings us from death to life by his shed blood as the atonement for our sins and by breathing the power of his resurrection into our lungs and by his grace, allowing us to take part in the fruit of the spirit that we cannot exemplify on our own. It is his grace, church. There's nothing that we can do to make us good enough or deserving enough of the grace that we have been shown. We are a sinful and lost, hopeless and dead without Jesus and his saving work within us. We deserve death. But the joy of our salvation, it is a means of grace to the world. That all might know that we are the people of God and that they, that they would be drawn by the spirit to the saving work of Christ. So my friends, rejoice. Let us express the joy of our salvation in the way that literally only we can. Let us declare that Jesus is better than anything we could ever face or obstacle that we might have to overcome. Let us in our weakness give thanks and allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength because true joy only comes from Jesus. But the passage doesn't end in verse four could probably stop there and go home, but I believe there's some deeper and some richer insights into a heart that gives thanks. Because please say it with me, true joy only comes from Jesus. What's at stake if we don't rejoice? And while I don't believe that it's possible for a true follower of Jesus to not have joy and thanksgiving in their heart, 
In fact, if you're a person who always complains and is always angry and is always grumpy, I might consider this a heart check to see if Jesus truly resides there. But verse five teaches us the why, the what happens, the what's at stake if we don't rejoice. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness. I think it's safe to say that we can look around our world, we can look around our country, our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook timelines, and find a real need for people to be reasonable. There's a true need for calm in the storm. There's a need for logical thinking and for speaking truth in love, for not losing our minds and jumping into a panic. As followers of Jesus, when we rejoice always, we run contrary to the state of culture. We run contrary to those who don't believe. When we truly believe that Jesus is better, that the Lord is at hand, no matter the circumstance we face, we can give thanks to God because of his grace to us. We can remain reasonable. And when we do this, we can present hope for the dying in the way that we live. We can fight despair and hopelessness and panic in our world. When we truly proclaim that true joy only comes from Jesus to a world that is without reason, we speak calm into the storm of weary souls. You see, our reaction to chaos in the world is seen in verse 6. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We can return to the giver of every grace. When despair comes our way, when chaos hits every aspect of our lives, we can, with thankful hearts, with the joy of our salvation, we can bring our concerns to God. When we do this, we acknowledge that we are not in control. We acknowledge that God is sovereign and that his will is best. We acknowledge that he is the source of hope and peace. And when we do this, we are able to live out the gospel in a way that is desperately needed. When we react in a way that is Christ-honoring, we are able to make much of Jesus in every circumstance. Verse 7 reads, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the result, when we shift our focus and submit ourselves to the rule and reign of Jesus over all things, the peace of God guards us. It keeps our hearts and minds from running wild. It keeps us from losing control and it keeps us from allowing our trust to drift. It brings us back to the reminder that only Jesus can be our peace. The peace of God is perfect. It surpasses all knowledge and when our thoughts wage war against us, his peace anchors us back to him. And when we are anchored to him, we can truly give thanks because say it with me, True joy only comes from Jesus. For those of us in this room who follow Jesus, I pray today that you are convicted and encouraged. I pray that you are convicted, that you would sense the ways in which you are leaning on your own understanding and living in despair, convicted and challenged to remember your first love and to repent for misplaced affections and to return to the joy of your salvation. I pray that you are encouraged and that you don't have to do the work that Jesus has already done. 
You cannot. Rather, your response should be to take a posture of thankfulness and surrender that comes from trusting Jesus. Similarly, for those of you in this room who do not claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's my prayer today that God the Father would in this moment draw you to himself by the power of his Holy Spirit through the conviction of sin, that you may be, my friend, freed in the grace of God, that you may find hope and peace in the fact that Jesus took your sin to the cross and paid for it with his blood. May today you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and leave this place rejoicing in the work of the Father and the joy of your salvation. The band is gonna lead us and as they do, I would ask that, we're gonna stand and respond, but I would ask this. If you call NCC your home, I'd ask that you not leave during this last song. None of us in this room are exempt from the response to God's word. Please hear my heart in this. To not be stirred and moved into reflection of our spiritual condition as a response to the word of God is indicative of a heart that doesn't take the ever constant sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit very seriously. May we repent over this. We all have a way that we need to respond to this text, even if it's just to pray for those who are responding. Today, there is a next step that we each must take, a next step in trusting Jesus more completely. Maybe that's coming and praying for forgiveness for a heart that's been filled with pride and entitlement, anger, Maybe it's coming and just saying a prayer of thanks to God for who he is and for what he has done. Maybe it's been forever since you've truly sat and just thanked him genuinely. Or maybe today you need to come and pray that Jesus would be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. Whatever it is, let us worship and respond well in these next few moments. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible, incredible love for us. We pray and we ask that you would move us now in response to your word. Let us respond well with thankful hearts and the joy of our salvation. It's in your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond.